So please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 28. We'll be looking at verses 3 through the end of the chapter, through verse 25. It's a pretty interesting story as we kind of switch back to Saul's story for a moment and how he uh, deals with no longer being able to hear from the Lord. Before we do that, let's quickly go to the Lord in prayer to ask for his help with the text. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray your guidance through it and that you would show us your authority in it and over it. You are the author of these words. They are yours. They are binding on our lives. And so, Lord, help us to see them as such. Help us to not take them as just an idle as idle words or just a just an unimportant story in history, but these are your words. They speak to us. Have them change our hearts. Have them convict us of our sins and have us have them show us the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this passage and considering the context, it made me think of when I was a kid and I was watching TV with the family or whatever, and you're watching like a baseball game or some sort of sitcom, and then all of a sudden there's this image that comes on the TV and it says, we interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to bring you this important message. You guys probably remember that. We don't really see those anymore, I don't think, because Twitter and Facebook and all the different cable news and whatnot, but that was a big deal. When that happened, it would usually be the president saying something to us. Sometimes it would be like Dan Brather or whoever you decided to watch, and it was usually some sort of issue of national security. When that took place, it wasn't just to announce like who won the World Series. It was, it was a big deal, like some sort of war was breaking out or something was going on that was a big deal. I went back and watched a lot of these announcements. You can see them. They're on YouTube. It's fascinating. And you usually see it's anything from like terrorist attacks to uh, like this assassination of JFK when Ronald Reagan was shot, all these different things that go on where they interrupted programming to come over and tell the people something important. It always created tension. It always was, uh, there was always some amount of worry that went along with it. <clears throat> and again, now we have instant news and there's no longer a need for that. The news companies are constantly vying for be, to be the first to report something, and they do so via Twitter, and the, court, the world finds out almost instantaneously. And so news is kind of a different thing than it used to be. But this episode with Saul today in the text is very similar to one of those interruptions in regular programming. We were just involved in David's story, and it was an interesting story, right? It was a really good story. He was fleeing to the Philistine side. He was getting ready to attack Judah, or at least the Philistines were, with David by their side. And we were, uh, we were just told that David was going to prove his worth to the Philistine king. And we're like, is David going to turn against Judah? What's going on? We really want to know. It's kind of, it's like the bottom of the eighth, and maybe the home team can like pull it out, or we don't know. And then all of a sudden, Dan Rather comes on and tells us something important that we need to know. And that's what happens here with Saul. We're interrupted to get this story from Saul. He's also 
fighting the Philistines. And we have to find out what's going on with him. And in this story, it just happens to be a very bad news for Saul. We are taken away from the quote-unquote main story in order to see something new and developing that has very serious ramifications for what goes on in the rest of this story. And I think we could all relate to this, even with our lives. We all have these interruptions to our regular programming, as it were, in our lives that deal with something that kind of changes the way that we move forward going in our lives. It would be nice if our regular programming, you you could like hit a pause button and then deal with these difficult things and then kind of go on as normal. But that's not the way that life goes, unfortunately. We have to deal. Like Saul, we seek the Lord to know what's good, to know what's right, to know that what we ought to do. However, the answer that Saul receives has to be one of the worst things that we could read in Scripture. It's sad. And so today, as we consider this message to Saul, what it has to do with our own faith and our quote-unquote regular programming, so to speak, we're going to look at this in three main points First, the worst possible thing. Second, the perspective for our own trials. And then third, the one whom we should turn to. And so with that, let's read the text together. 1 Samuel 28, verses 3 through 25. You may remain seated as I read the text. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and camped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And the servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. He and two two went with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me a spirit and bring up for, for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, Surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? 
Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out from your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul when she saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in, those ho- in, in the house, and she quickly killed it, took flour, and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. They rose and went away that night. Amen. This is God's word. So just a little bit of review first. David fled to the Philistine capital, and he was given his own city for him and his men to live in. If you remember from last week, he made a business of raiding the Philistine camps and then telling the king that he was raiding the Hebrew camps. So, so David was being kind of uh, tricksy there. He was appointed as, to a high honor in the Philistine ranks. He was given position of the bodyguard of Achish, the king of the Philistines, and they were about to go to war against the, the Hebrew people. And David was appointed to this great position, and he told Achish, you're about to see how I can perform in battle. And so we kind of get to this this great point in the movie and then all of a sudden, um, we have this shift in the story that takes us away, and we have something important to hear from Ted Koppel or whoever. It's kind of disappointing, right? We have to hear now about what's going on with Saul. However, the author of the book who did this to us is actually doing us a service here as he is laying the lives and the situations of David and Saul for us side by side in comparison. And so I think it's important for us to understand what's going on here from the author's perspective. It's important for us to see that neither of these men are to be modeled or praised. What we see is there's one who is seeking the Lord, and there's one who is seeking the Lord but cannot, but is thwarted. And I think it's a service for us because many times we aren't afforded this kind of comparison, especially when it comes to our own lives. We tend to plant ourselves or paint ourselves into this great light 
and, and we compare ourselves to the Sauls of the world, or we make everyone else who a Saul in the world. And so I think this text is helpful for us because it helps us to see that we are much more like Saul than we'd like to think. And so with that, let's go to this first idea, the worst possible thing. So first, we are reminded that Samuel is dead there in verse 3. I think this is to set up for us what is about to happen. Remember, we were told that Samuel died and all of Israel mourned. Well, we're told that same thing again right here in chapter 28. And then we're given this little idea that Saul has driven out all the mediums and the necromancers of the land. Um, also, again, to kind of set up the, the story of what's going on. This isn't a flashback. This is something that actually was going on. I think that's important for us to, to get to. This is a historical event. Uh, when Saul inquired of the Lord, what happened? Well, he inquired of the Lord. He was, he was afraid. And it said that he was um, neither. They said he inquired of the Lord and the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And this idea of the Urim is this device that they use to uh, discern the Lord's will. We don't know much about it, but apparently the Lord wasn't talking to him even through the Urim either. And so this is not an uncommon idea in Scripture, by the way. We read about the various psalmists all the time crying out to God many times, and God seeming very distant to them. Turn with me to Psalm 88. It's a psalm that we quoted from this morning. Psalm 88. And I want us to see this same idea from another source. It's not uncommon to hear people crying out to the Lord and not receiving an answer. And this is just one example that I decided to pull I'm going to read verses 8 through 18 to give us the idea of what's going on here. Psalm 88, 8 through 18. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do, you de- do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are, you, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become Darkness. This is tough. This is a psalmist. This is one that the Lord decided that this was become, this was his word. This is part of the canon of scripture that we should know and, and understand and it should direct our lives. And here we read, 
that the Lord is driving him away, that he seems to be destitute. From the Lord, from from his perspective, the Lord has caused all of his friends to shun him, to not like him anymore. You know, you, you kind of get this idea: God, I thought you never left your people, yet I feel so forsaken. And I think if we're honest, we can all relate with this idea from time to time. We don't get to sit with God face to face, not as if we deserve that or anything, but we don't get to talk to Him. But so we cry out to God, we expect answers, we want answers, and sometimes it seems like we get the opposite of the things that we want. And so I think we understand Saul's feelings here. We understand what he's going through, right? He's afraid, he's crying out to the Lord, he's not receiving an answer. And so to that end, I think it's good for us to see that. But how he deals with those feelings, I think, should trouble us versus how we should deal with those feelings. Notice that we are told that Saul, again, drove out the mediums and the necromancers. Mediums and necromancers are people who dealt with the dead. Mediums talked with the dead. Necromancers rose the dead. Um, And so he drove them out of the land. This was right for him to do. The Mosaic law forbids such activity. And by driving them out, he's upholding the law. This is what a king should do, right? We don't know what his motivations were. Maybe he's just trying to be good. Hooray for Saul. However, like most politicians, the law doesn't actually apply to Saul, even though he is uh, making it. And so he is desperate for the word of God. He's desperate to hear a word from the Lord And so what does he immediately do? He seeks to hire one of these mediums, a person who can communicate with the dead so that he can speak to Samuel, the prophet who had died and who had walked upright with the Lord for all of his years, and now Saul needed to speak with him. So he puts on a disguise. He, You know, remember Saul is the one that stood head and shoulders above all the Israelites, and uh, now he's going to disguise himself, of course. Uh, which would be really hard to do, I would think. But he disguises himself. They, they, he looks like this common man, and he goes into the dark places of the world seeking the medium. And he, he finds her, and she immediately senses something is up. Well, hey, wait, we've been told we're not supposed to do this. And Saul swears to her by the, on the name of the Lord, which is interesting in the midst of his sin. He's even trying to remain somewhat orthodox here. He asks her to summon Samuel, and she does. Now, I think just an interpretive note, lots of folks, uh, you know, where she she sees Samuel and she screams. Uh, A lot of people have interpreted this to mean that she was surprised that her own divinations worked, and that's why she screamed. Uh, After reading this again and again, and trying to kind of forget the times that I've had this taught to me, you know, trying to leave my own tradition aside, I've, I'm beginning to question that. I don't think that's what the text is actually giving us. I think it's more likely that she was shocked that she had noticed Saul at this point as who he was. I don't know that for sure, but I think it's a warning here either way. Um, we shouldn't mess with these sorts of things. These, uh, these mediums and necromancers and things like that, I think that they are drawing from a power 
that is not from the Lord. All power ultimately is from the Lord, but there are evil sorts of powers out there. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't read certain books and all that kind of thing. I don't think we should go there. I think we can discern the difference between fiction and reality. However, Scripture knows that there's a power here that's real and that we should avoid that at all costs. And this takes the form of of lots of different things in our worlds, not just these uh, crazy people that hide in dark alleys and talk to dead prophets. And so we just need to be careful there. If you have questions about that, we can talk about that after the sermon, but I did want to just just throw that out there. So Saul calls up Samuel. He speaks to him. And what does he say to Samuel? Well, first of all, I think it's neat that Samuel wasn't happy. Uh, he was, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? You know, he's, he's, he's been in this peaceful rest, and now he has been brought up to talk to Saul, probably the person that he wants to see least. Remember their last interaction, Saul reached out for him and tore his robe. And what did Samuel say to him? Just like that, your kingdom has been torn away from you. The last interaction that they had with one another was not pleasant. And Saul says, I need to know what to do. I'm in great distress. Verse 15. I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I should do. Maybe he forgot that Samuel was an upright prophet of the Lord. So what does Samuel tell to him? The same thing that he told him before. The exact same thing. He isn't talking to you, and this is a paraphrase. He isn't talking to you because he has turned away from you. He has become your enemy. He has taken your kingdom and he's given it to David. Because you didn't obey, he has done this. And now you and your sons are going to die tomorrow. What is Saul's response? Well, look at verse 20. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. He had nothing. He had nothing left. This completely deflated him. I think maybe for the first time in this whole book, Saul gets what's going on. He just had a ghost tell him that he was going to die and remind him of the words of the Lord. This lady kind of realizes what's taking place. She offers to make him a meal. Uh, There's a lot of parallels here between our Lord's Last Supper and Saul's. He finally agrees to eat. He does. And uh, he goes on his way. I think verse 25 is a really sad verse. Um, She put the meal before him and the servants, and they ate. They rose and went away that night. Reminds me of when Judas rose from eating and went to betray Christ in the middle of the night. Um, and that was Judas's last night on earth as well. And just just some interesting parallels here that we could get into. He said, so I want us to understand what's going on here. Saul was just told the worst thing that anyone could be told. The Lord has abandoned you. He does not plan to help you or to listen to you. Not only that, all the signs... 
and the prophets that you look for, they are gone too. You no longer are going to get any word from the Lord. He has become your enemy. And I think Saul had finally come to the realization that his sin had driven him to this point of no return where he had forsaken the truth of God so much in his life that he was no longer able to return. God had forsaken him ultimately. And so I think it's an important question for us to ask, is this something that could happen to us? I think whenever we think that we are incapable of the types of sins that Saul has committed here, we are closer to that point than we think. If we ever remove ourselves from Saul thinking, well, there's no way that I'm that bad, then we are moving that direction quicker than we know. When we get to the point when we think that our own goodness that is somehow upholding us and keeping us from this and keeping us in our relationship with God, we'll look around and realize that we never had a relationship with him to begin with. I think this represents my own childhood. I was convinced that somehow my own goodness kept me in line with God as I was being raised. If I messed up, I could just be good again. I could just go through the motions of like going to the front of the church, maybe rededicating my life or whatever, something like that. Finding favor with the Lord again, kind of re-upping my relationship with Him, filling the meter up to 100, you know, so that I had favor with Him again. Never mind what God had said about that. I was going to beat his system just by appearing to be good while holding on to my sin like an old blanket that I drug around to keep me safe. Saul never got to the point in his life where he surrendered his life to the will of the Father. He never gave over his own life, his own kingdom, to the authority of of God. You don't even see him doing that in death. You would think that being told he was going to die would somehow change his heart, but it doesn't. He had his own way, and in the end, where did it lead? Death. And the deaths, the death of his sons, including Jonathan. So could this happen to a believer? I think this is important for us. Absolutely. A believer who is convinced of the value of their own righteousness, which is Saul in a nutshell, over and over, and is repeatedly unrepentant, who shows themselves unrepentant time and time again in their relationship with God and their relationship with others, they show themselves to be an unbeliever. They show themselves to be like Saul. You have to understand that. And at that point, what do they do? They shut themselves out from the Word of God. This is something that we should be able to see, the warning signs in our own lives, and this is important. What are these warning signs? Repeatedly not accepting admonition from other believers. Not seeing sin in our own lives, but being quick to point it out in others. Not being able to, or not being willing or able to submit to the authority of the church, especially when it comes to the Word of God. Being told the Word of God point blank to you and not being willing to submit 
or accept it, even seeking out other means to hear a word from the Lord. Don't think that we're somehow like immune to this. We're not going like to the dark alleys of Murray seeking out mediums. But it's not uncommon at all for a Christian to think, well, the Lord told me this. When it's something that is directly opposed to the scriptures. And I say this to you all to warn you to make sure we're looking for the warning signs in our own lives and each other's lives. But I also would say that you need to be doing this in the people that you love so that they are not walking away from the faith. And what do you do when you see this? This is important. And I think Jesus gives us a great example on what to follow when we see this in other people, when we see this in our friends and our family. What do we do? We immediately call them to repentance personally. We call them up. Talk to them on the phone. Talk to them in person. I see this in your life. You need to repent. What do you do if they don't listen? Well, next time you bring someone with you. You tell them the same things. If they don't listen again, you bring the church along with you. What does that mean? Well, we bring the elders in. We bring others in to talk to these people. What if they still don't listen? Then they are showing themselves to be an unbeliever. They are showing themselves to be like Saul, who doesn't care for the admonition, for the authority of the scriptures, of the church. They don't care anymore. They're showing themselves to be an unbeliever. For Saul, a kingdom was at stake, both a physical one and an eternal one. What about for us? There's just as much to lose. And so we have to be on guard against anything that would choke out the word of God in our lives. And so next, I want to look at a perspective on our trials. And again, I mentioned this earlier that we are given this great comparison between David's trials and those of Saul. Uh, we see them kind of intertwining at some point, but we do see this separate line going forward. One has a king chasing him into the ground and has now made a home in a pagan country. The other has made an enemy of his creator and has lost the battle and will lose his final battle physical on the next day and so as we looked at David's trials and as we were going through David's trials and seeing wow David really has a tough why won't Saul just leave him alone I think it helps us to put what he's going through in perspective when we look at Saul's trial here even as bad as it could be for David it wasn't close to the kind of trials that Saul was facing and he would face for an eternity opposed to his creator so this helps us, I think, to consider our own trials, things that would even <clears throat> have us do something as silly as seek out a medium or hear from the dead. I mean, we're probably not going to do that. We might twist scripture in order to fit our new sinful lifestyle. We might demand health and wealth from a God who owes us nothing and has only ever given us mercy and grace far more than we deserve, but we might become demanding of him. A lot of the church is doing that now, and they call it good theology. We think that God has forsaken us when circumstances are hard, even though hard isn't, or hard for us isn't at all that difficult when we put things in perspective with the trials of others. I mean, consider our Lord Jesus, who was betrayed by his friend and had a Roman army come after him in a garden, him and his fishermen friends. 
Then he was nailed to a cross and left to publicly die in the most humiliating way possible. But with him, the father did actually forsake him. The father did actually look away from him. Why? Because he took my sin and your sin upon himself. And the father couldn't look at it. And he gave us his righteousness. And so now how do we stand before him? Completely unforsaken, unable to be forsaken even because of the righteousness of Christ exchanged for my sin. The father who turned away from his only begotten son now looks on me, his adopted child, and says, you are mine because of what Jesus did. And so are we truly ever forsaken? No. Let's look at our trials in perspective. And I think that leads us to our next point, the one whom we should turn to. And so, so what should we do? What, how should we act when we feel forsaken? We read from the psalmist this morning in Psalm 88 that it's not abnormal to feel that way. What about when the Lord doesn't seem to be answering? The disciples felt that way, did they not? Read the Gospels over and over as the disciples were struggling. Even while Jesus was on the earth with them, Jesus would say things to them that they had no clue how they were to react to. They had no clue how they were to interpret. Remember from John chapter 6, where Jesus was talking about the bread of life and that they should consume the bread in order to have life. And he was telling them all these hard things. And what did the disciples who were following him say? These are hard teachings Who can understand them? And many of his disciples left that day. And so Jesus looked at Peter and the rest of the twelve and said, What will you do? Will you leave also? And remember what Peter said. Where else will we go? You have the words of life. And so what do we do when we feel like Our God and our Creator has forsaken us when we are crying out like the psalmist does in the Psalms over and over again. What do we do? We keep calling out to Him. Because what else do we have? Where else is there salvation? Should we look for this medium of indoor? Another ten grand in the bank? Is that what's going to help us feel safe? Good health? A big church? Which one of these things are going to make us feel good about ourselves? There is no salvation in any other name except for the name of Jesus Christ. And it's Him that we continue to call upon, even when we think He's not listening, because what has He told us? I will never leave you. And so in conclusion, we follow God's Word. We do what God has told us to do, lest we lead ourselves into thinking that our own way is right, which leads to death. Saul found that out the hard way. His family is going to have to find that out to the hard way. As we're going to read, they're all going to be led to their own deaths. We follow the Lord. We seek a crowd of folks around us to make sure that we are doing it, to make sure that they are doing it. We follow him together. We want our brothers and sisters also to be doing this, lest they veer to the wide side of the road that leads to death. And we turn to Jesus. 
even when we aren't answered. We turn to Jesus because it's only His righteousness that keeps us before the Lord anyway. Our own following, our own good works don't keep us right before the Lord. It's His righteousness that does. We also turn to Him because He has given us the trials that we have in our lives. Because He is our Savior. He is our sustainer. We don't have redemption without Him. And when we are in trouble, then let us call upon His name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, we call upon Your name. Sometimes we know that, or we think that You aren't listening. We think that You have perhaps forsaken us, that You have left us to die. But Lord, help us to see our own trials in perspective You have given us eternal life, and you have told us you prepare a place for us even now. Death is not the end for us. We spend eternity with you, and so the worst trial we could imagine on earth is nothing. We we are thankful that you hold us in relationship with you, even when we would seek to go away. Continue to do so. Hold us close. Keep us as close as possible to you and do what it takes in our lives to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.